From St. Luke's Gospel, in those days Mary arose and went with haste. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, friends. You know, um, I am increasingly convinced that Christmas is a really fun time of the year. I mean, who doesn't love Christmas, right? Um, But I think in some ways it's also incredibly dangerous. What do you mean by that, Rodriguez? Well, what I mean is, um, you know, I think... I think we can sometimes be so blinded by the sentiment that goes along with the season, if you'll give me a moment to explain what I mean, we get so blinded by the sentiment that surrounds Christmas that we lose sight of the fact of what's actually really going on, that these are real people dealing with circumstances that were completely uh, extraordinary. I'll give you an example. I was out yesterday, I waited till the last minute, like I always do, to do my Christmas shopping, and I was out at uh, Lowe's, and they had a display, and they had a little light you could buy for your home that you'd push the button, and it said, let it snow. Yeah, right, this is Vero Beach, right? It never snows here, that's the whole point. But yet, you know, we are so, um, we're so bombarded with sentiment, and schmaltzy sentiment at that, that we lose sight of what's really going on here. For example... Mary and Elizabeth, and this story from this morning, is a profound story about what it means to trust God. And ordinarily, preachers about this text, they preach about the Magnificat, right? My soul doth magnify the Lord. Great text. And I've heard people preach it from, you know, we're going to make it a conservative or a liberal political stage. I'm not going to do that today. What I'm going to do instead is is dial in and show you that Mary and Elizabeth are real people dealing with a situation which nobody has any idea what's going on. Mary, this 14, her name is Miriam, by the way, in Hebrew, this 14-year-old girl who is scared and confused and terrified and unsure, is kind of just like the person sitting in your seat. That's you. Also, sometimes dealing with things in life that are unsure and anxiety Provoking. And ordinarily, the way God reaches us is through Scripture, of course, and through the sacraments, of course, but also what I want to dial on today is the people that God places in our lives to help us when we are struggling. And so I'm going to look at this interaction between Mary, Mary the mother of God, and her aunt Elizabeth, who lives in Sebring, right? Close by, but not too close. Two, two women whose relationship and whose love for God encourage each other. So the first point for today is Mary's faith requires action. And secondly, the evidence that God gives her. So the first point is that Mary's faith requires action, point one. And then second point, that God gives Mary evidence to prove his claim. So... First thing, let me just give you some background of what's going on here. Uh, You need to know something, that the text we just read about Mary going to Elizabeth occurs immediately after something important happened to Mary. And that is the angel Gabriel, whose whose name means uh, uh, he who is like God, Gabriel, uh, he goes to Mary and he says, I'm going to paraphrase a bit here, don't take this as disrespectful, but he says, hey Mare, I got an idea. More importantly, God has an idea. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Okay? And then, just 12 verses earlier from today, Luke says that Mary, when the angel appears to her, listen to this, when Mary appears to her, 
But Luke says that she was much perplexed and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. (laughs) Could that be any more wooden? An angel appears to her, and the English translation says she was much perplexed. Have you ever told somebody in your life that you're much perplexed? I've never said that once. And then the the angel says to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. But why would you say that? Well, because she is afraid. So that word for perplexed is the Greek word dastrasio, and it means distressed. It means anxiety-filled. It means worried. It means, holy smokes, what's going on, right? And and Gabriel says, hang on, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God, and... You will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son without a human father and you'll name him Jesus and he'll be the son of God. Great, thanks. Let me ask you a question. Um, What sort of image do you have in your mind? of the? It's called the Annunciation, right? Where Angel Gabriel comes and announces to Mary that she has been chosen to be the mother of God. What image is in your mind about that? I'll confess to you, and there's probably a stained glass window in here somewhere depicting this, that the angel, it shows like a light in the corner, and here's Mary, you know, deeply in prayer, her hands folded, and she looks up. Oh, what's that? And it's sort of this like little smile on her face and maybe a little twinkle in her eye and snow falling in the background. You see my point? All the sentiment that distracts us from what's really going on here. Friends, she's scared out of her mind. She's terrified. Verse 27 says that Mary was much perplexed, which means she's scared, she's terrified, she's unsure what's going on here. And if you put yourself in the context, can you really blame her? I mean, imagine that you're sitting at home watching the football game this afternoon and the angel Gabriel appears to you and says, greetings, you're about to have the Son of God. I mean, what would go through your mind? Honestly, what would go through your mind? What would go through my mind is, man, I probably had too much tequila last night. Or maybe that chicken salad I had for lunch wasn't good. Whatever. You would, you would doubt your own sanity. You'd be scared and you'd worry. Oh my gosh, there's something wrong. But I want you to notice something really important. Amidst all of this fear and anxiety and worry and distress and uncertainty and just this whole emotional stew that the Greek rightly points out to us, Mary agrees. She didn't have to. Mary could have, this would be a whole interesting thread, Mary could have said no. But just if you know your text, despite the fear, Mary accepts God's plan. And then she says something interesting. She says, let it be to me according to your word. Now what does that mean? Anybody know what that means? She says, he says, you're going to have this baby Mary. And Mary says, Let it be to me according to your word. What does that mean? Well, that is a biblical way of saying, listen, I will do whatever you have just told me to do, even though I have absolutely no idea what it means, and I have no idea how this is going to go, and this is completely blowing my matrix. But I will do it, and I will do what you're asking me to do, God, because I trust you. I will do it, God, because of according to your word. That expression means Mary, again, is in a state of 
fear and uncertainty and worry and all the stuff that goes with life when things hit us we don't expect. But she says, I will do it according to your word, Lord, even though I haven't the foggiest idea what that means. And the point I want you to see here, my first point, is that biblical faith requires you and me and Mary to do something even though the details are unclear. God requires you to respond to his plan for your life. Mary could have said no. She could have refused God's call on her life. I mean, for crying out loud, lots of people say no. Anybody here know somebody that God has called them to and they said thanks but no thanks? I did that for a long time, I'll be honest with you. Here's the question for you. Are you willing to do what God calls you to do? And notice something important here that I want to point out, which is a supremely important pastoral point. That when God calls Mary, he doesn't give her any information. I mean, broadly he does, but he doesn't give her a lot of details. He doesn't lay out the plan. He doesn't describe Jesus being the son of God. He doesn't lay out all the details. He just wants her to trust him. That's the reason why when God makes promises in the Scripture or promises to you that he doesn't give you all the details. Well, for me, it'd be because I'd probably wreck it. And secondly, he wants you to learn to trust him. And this is an important thing. The, word, the biblical word for faith is the word pistis. It's Greek. And the, and the word for faith in Scripture, that the, the, the kind of faith that God wants you to have, is not just believing that God exists. Because the Bible doesn't care if you believe that God exists. The Bible presumes that you do. Romans chapter 1 says all men know that there's something out there. Everybody knows that. And then James even says that even the demons believe and they shudder. Biblical faith isn't about believing on a higher power or believing that God is real. Because everybody believes that. Biblical faith is instead about learning to trust him about learning to trust God, that when he tells you he will keep his word, that God is, in one word, reliable. And if this sounds kind of like a game, like I'm somehow, that God's sort of toying with you, I had a friend of mine, well, not really a friend, because he was kind of annoying, but uh, a guy that I used to drink beer with on occasion a long time ago, who claimed he was an atheist, and he once said to me, you know, this Christianity thing is just stupid. And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because it's almost like God is kicking you in the shin so he can pick you back up again. And I said, well, that's because you missed the point. God withholds information from us because he wants us to learn to trust him. He wants us to learn to trust him. And let me just remind you of something, that that's just how trust works. Listen, trust, trust, faith, trust, pistis, always requires you to trust another person, listen, to see if they will keep their word. Trust requires you to trust somebody to see if they'll actually do what they say. If I say to you, hey, trust me, don't trust me, right? Hey, trust me, pal. Don't trust somebody who tells you to trust them. But if, but if I say to you, you know what? I will pick you up at the airport next Saturday at 5 p.m. And if I show up, then you learn something important about my character, that I am reliable, that I am trustworthy. See my point? So when God tells Mary, do this, Mary, he wants her to learn to trust him. Here's my question for you. Do you do you trust God? You can't trust God without first trusting him and seeing what he will do for you. I'm going to give you an example. I will, gosh, 20 years ago, I was in a church, Good Shepherd Rosemont, outside Philadelphia, my ascending parish. Father Moyer was describing uh, stewardship, and he said, 
that the biblical standard of giving is the tithe. 10% of your income to the work of the church. And you know what I thought when he said that? I thought, who in the world is this dude? 10% of my income? He said, well, this was in a, in a sermon. It wasn't to me directly. And I said, 10%? Are you kidding me? And then he said, because Micah says, if you tithe, God will rain down blessing upon, upon you. But it required me to act, didn't it? Well, I did. 20 years ago, whatever it was, 22 years ago, I did. I started to tie it. I still do now. 10% of my income goes to the work of this parish. And I'm going to tell you something, that what God promised was real. Every person I know who's ever decided to make the leap to tithe will tell you that God actually rains down blessing upon us when we take him at his word, when we trust him. I know it's insane. I know it's counterintuitive. But so is the incarnation. So is the annunciation. It's not until you take God's word for it and do it that you can see that he's trustworthy, that he keeps his word. So here's my question for you. I'm going to move on to point two here briefly. Do you, do you trust God? And it's simple as saying, do you do what he says to do? Well, sometimes, okay. It's a start. But the idea is the only way you learn to trust God is by trusting him and then seeing if he actually keeps his word, which, by the way, he does. Each one of us is faced with situations in our lives that are frightening, that are unsure, that we're not sure, we don't know what's going to happen, but God knows, and God requires that your faith be learned by trusting in him so that he can prove himself to you. And that leads me to my second point. So he says, Mary, I got an idea. Mary says, I'll do it according to your word. I trust you, Lord, even though this is completely bizarre and strange, I'll do it. Point two, God actually gives her proof. Let me show you this. This is why I left, started off this morning. After this whole exchange between Gabriel and Mary, and the Annunciation, Son of God coming, and all that, then the very next thing that happens, we read this. Mary set out with haste. So the angel Gabriel leaves, and the first thing that, the, the first thing that Mary does is, as Janie Binion said this morning, she hotfoots to see Elizabeth, right? She skedaddles. She moves with haste into the hill country, into dangerous territory. Mary is so scared and so confused by this annunciation and so perplexed and worried and distressed that she runs out with haste. Well, where is she going? Well, she wants proof. Who wouldn't? Mary runs with haste because before the angel Gabriel leaves, he says, hey, Mary, by the way, uh, your Aunt Elizabeth, who lives two towns over, you know, the one who could never have children and now is beyond childbearing years, yeah, Mary, she's six months pregnant. Go check it out. So Mary scoots, and she goes to Elizabeth to see if, in fact, Gabriel's promise is true. Mary arrives Elizabeth is indeed pregnant, like Gabriel told her that she would be, and Mary must have thought, holy Toledo, what has just happened? Friends, God will put evidence in front of you to prove that his claims are real. God will put evidence in front of you to prove that his claims are real, but it requires you to trust him to take, to take the initiative to go. And Luke says, this is so cool. Listen to this again. This is part of the text from today. Luke says that when Mary entered the room, right? Mary walks in. Elizabeth knows nothing about the annunciation details. It's not like Mary called her on her cell phone on the way into town. 
So Mary walks into the room and Elizabeth sees her. And Luke says that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning this is a prophetic utterance. And she says to Mary, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth says, could you imagine Mary? And Elizabeth says, why has this happened that the mother of my God should come to me? Can you imagine what effect that must have had on young Mary? To have her aunt saying to her, the aunt who, by the way, knows nothing about the Annunciation and Gabriel coming, now validating for her the very thing that she needed to hear, that her new baby was, in fact, God. Imagine Mary's words to Elizabeth. This is the point I want you to see. These two women... Mary's Mary's faith is strengthened through Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's faith is strengthened through Mary. Both of them learn something critical in their exchange, this symbiotic interaction between the two, that God is, in fact, worthy of trust, that God is, in fact, trustworthy, that God can be relied upon. Let me just say this. Um, There are, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to repeat it, there are no coincidences in life, biblically speaking anyway. There are no coincidences in life. There's some things which don't really matter, like whether or not you had a Pinot Grigio or a Cabernet for dinner last night. They don't matter. It doesn't matter to me, anyway. But there are really no coincidences in life. In other words, the people that God places in your life, have, he has placed there for a reason. That just like Mary and Elizabeth in this God-foreordained interaction, both of their faith is strengthened and their trust is increased. God puts people in your own life to strengthen and encourage you. And God knows he's done it for me. You ever have somebody come up to you, call you on the phone or text you or whatever, and they say, <laughs> they say exactly what you needed to hear at exactly the right time? Or you meet somebody in a conversation that says, you want to do this? I know somebody who can really help you with that that God moves all the pieces on the chessboard around to see and to encourage us with the lives of the people he places in, our, in front of us. Friends, I've said before, Christianity is revelational, right? God reveals himself. Christianity is incarnational, God becomes a man. But Christianity is also relational, that God works in, among, and through his people to encourage each other. So let me, let me just turn that camera around onto you for a minute. Who is the Elizabeth in your life or the Mary in your life? And what I mean by that, who are the people whom God has placed in your life who have encouraged you, who have challenged you, who have helped you to grow, who have helped you to see the truth? It's not an accident, man. They're there for a reason. God put them there. When Elizabeth dispels Mary's fears and when Mary encourages Elizabeth, the whole divine interaction is complete. And Mary is filled with joy and she's filled with confidence and she's filled with encouragement and man, she's going to need it. Because now Mary's got to go back home and tell her husband Joseph that she's pregnant and it ain't his. Mary needs the encouragement just like you do, just like I do. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, and this usually comes up in men's groups, but it's applicable to anybody. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says that, listen to this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Friends, who has sharpened you 
Who has God caused you to sharpen? What weighs heavily on your heart? Where is God calling you to step out in faith, to heed his call, to stand there with amazement and wait and see what he's going to do? What people has he placed in your life to encourage and challenge and strengthen you? What people has he placed in your life to confirm your faith? Friends, the Holy Spirit works in us, but he also works through us. Let us today reflect on this wonderful relationship and this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth that shows us how God uses one another to strengthen our faith and how you are being called by the Lord to be there and strengthen someone else. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you that we are, that you are in fact worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith, worthy of our confidence. Remind us that trust is learned and that it is only by trusting you and acting that we will ever learn it. We thank you, Father, for the people you've placed in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the people that you have asked us to encourage. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.